Welcome, listeners, to The Bug's Labyrinth, where I will guide you through the maze of secrets that make up our world. I am your host. You can call me The Bug if you must call me anything. A list of all applicable trigger warnings have been provided in the episode notes of every episode. If any topics are of any concern to you, please take care of yourself and skip this episode. We'll be right here for you next time. So, welcome to The Labyrinth. I will be your guide. My goal in all of this is to teach you, to tell you about the world that we live in and how dark it really is, and not just in the ways that we've ruined it. I mean the paranormal, the scary, the things that go bump in the night. Because they're real. They're all real. Just maybe not in the way you might expect. You may wonder where I'm getting this information. Crazy people on the streets, deep forums on the dark web, stories of my own creation. Well, I can assure you my sources are sound, and everything I tell you is 100% true. At this moment, I have no way to prove that to you, so you just have to trust me. There's a lot I have to tell you that you'll just have to trust me on. I can tell you that it comes from a place called Institute Organization. We'll talk about that more next week. There is never just one thing to represent the whole with fear but there tends to be ones more prominent than others, more dangerous. These things have a way of hiding themselves. Speaking directly about what's hidden tends to be something of an impossibility. You may find yourself wanting to ask me to speak plainly. Tell us what you know, Bug. I will tell you what I can in the ways that I can, and I hope that is enough for you. There is, of course, one way stories. These things are hidden, yes, but speaking of their exploits gives them power. Witnesses give them power. Strength in numbers. So that is what we'll do, starting today. The Crown Ring. Entity Classification ID HOAL 76. Status of Entity Absconded. Classification of Entity Object. Description of Entity Small Silver Ring. Dimensions change depending on possessor of entity. Resting dimensions appear to be 152 millimeters. Object appears to be a small crown with eight small spheres on top of each point and ridges around the bottom. First instance of entity, unknown. Date of event, October 17th, 1976. Date of report, August 1st, 1977. Last possessor of entity before institute intervention. Ruth Hendricks. 
assumed awe, the fall. Ruth, or Ruthie Hendricks, was ten years old when her mother died. House fire, they said. Ruthie's mother had been visiting her parents after a particularly hard month. She had lost her job and was on the verge of divorce with Ruthie's father before she died. Any time Ruthie asked about it, her father, he gave her that look, that empty look in his eye that told her to leave it be. They were a small family, just Ruthie and her parents. Until parents became parent, and then her family of two became one, when her father gave her that empty look one last time before she heard the flatline tone of the hospital machines. The last thing her father ever gave to her was a small silver ring. It was your mother's. That's all he said before fading away into the obscurity of death. Ruthie didn't remember much about that time. But the dreams... The dreams she would have about life fading from her father's eyes, those would follow her for the rest of her life, however short it ended up being in the end. Ruthie was 26 years old when she came into the possession of entity HOAL-76 at the expense of her family. She placed that crown on her finger, and though all rules of society would dictate her life to be at its lowest in that moment, it was as if the world was apologizing for taking her family away. In that instant, she received a phone call. Her father's will listed her as the sole proprietor of his estate, taking her from her studio apartment in Chicago to her childhood home of 2.7 acres in the quiet woods of Virginia. She left the very same night taking all of her belongings to the modest four-bedroom home. She had always loved this house. Her mother had hated the plainwood color from when it was first built, and when Ruthie was six, they had it painted a lovely shade of robin's egg blue. As Ruthie moved back into the now-empty home, she felt the warmth of memories that used to reside there, the smell of her mother's perfume still wafting through the air, mixing with the fresh scent from the surrounding cedar trees. Lilac and cedar. Those two scents filled Ruthie's days as more and more good came into her life. One crisp autumn morning, she found a small golden Labrador puppy sleeping on her stoop, surrounded by the fiery colors of the fallen leaves. He had no tag or markers of previous ownership, so Ruthie brought him in and took to calling him Theo. Her work called the very next morning telling her there was a remote opportunity they wanted to offer her, which included a handsome raise and freedom over her department. And so it came that day after day, Ruthie's life was filled with warmth and fulfillment and cedar and lilac. It wasn't until six months in that Ruthie felt a change. It was spring now. Winter was over. Theo was growing big and strong. But what she hadn't noticed was the ring. That small little silver ring was growing tighter to her finger. Every month, every week, every day, every second, that crown around her finger, it grew tighter. She hadn't noticed it until she was grabbing a jug of creamer from the fridge for her morning coffee. 
She had grown careless, complacent in the wake of the perfect life she truly felt she had earned. And in doing so, she didn't mind where her fingers were when she slammed the refrigerator door shut, right on the nail of the finger that housed that simple little silver ring. You see, she hadn't noticed it growing tighter until she tried to dress her wound and take the ring off. She pulled on the band, tugged at that ring, felt the popping of joints dislocating to free her finger from its grasp, but it was as if the ring and her were fused. She lost that nail. It grew purple and bloody, and though her fingers throbbed in the searing pain, she sat on the kitchen floor and stared at the ring. It held her attention for so long, her coffee had grown cold. The refrigerators beeping for it to be closed, and Theo barking at her to be fed became a part of the monotony. White noise to be blocked out. It's amazing what the brain can block out if deemed unimportant. It wasn't until she heard a sharp knocking at her door that she was freed from the state. It was dark by now, dark and cold. Yet the scent of cedar and lilac reminded her that at least she was home. A man stood in her doorway, a tall wisp of a man that despite his lanky frame, Ruthie thought was quite handsome. He had a warm smile, but there was something behind it Ruthie could not place. An emptiness behind the eyes, maybe a twitch in his grin as he waited for her greeting. She shook off the unease and waited for the man. I have a message for you from the city, he said. His voice was like the breath of smoke after blowing out a candle, soft and light. What is it? Ruthie asked, taking the small manila envelope from his outstretched hand. The man placed his hand in his suit coat pocket and shrugged. Official business, I'm afraid, above my pay grade. I am simply the bearer. The way he spoke felt somewhat strange to Ruthie, an accent that she could not quite place, a suit that didn't quite fit the time, a gaze that didn't feel quite human. The man stood there and watched as Ruthie looked over the letter. Addressed to the residence of Ruthie Hendricks, important information inside. Thank you, Ruthie breathed. The letter felt so heavy in her hands. A bill or notice of some kind, no doubt, she thought. Surely nothing to worry about. The man nodded, but didn't turn to move. He simply waited. Is there something else I can help you with? Ruthie asked, suddenly feeling the intense need for this man to leave her doorstep. The man said nothing at all, only giving a smile before turning on one foot and walking down the steps of her front porch. Impulsively, she shut the door tight behind him and turned every lock. It did not come to her until long after the man's visit, but she did not see a car in the driveway. She did not see headlights streaming into her front room. She did not hear the familiar turning of an ignition and the sound of tires on gravel roads that come with someone visiting her property in the woods. No. In that moment, all her mind could reside on was the letter. Please take notice, the letter began. The property of 346 Amsbury Road, as owned by the state of Virginia, is to be demolished for future commercial and development use. Please advise that you will have three days from the 6th of May to vacate the premises. Ruthie gasped and dropped the letter. No, she thought. No, the house is on family property. This land has been in my family my entire life. There must be some mistake. The next day, Ruthie called every lawyer in the state of Virginia begging to find some loophole, some mistake, some hope 
that her home was still and would always be hers. But no, through thousands of dollars and countless firms, she heard the same thing. The land belongs to the state. And though she tried to explain, it would seem that all legal information that would prove the land to be hers was gone, missing as if it never were. Two days later, the house was gone. All evidence of this supposed house she lived in disappeared overnight, and all credit she had earned from it went along with it. Thankfully, she had a friend, a best friend, a woman she had known since childhood that was able to take her in. But there's a catch, her friend said through grit teeth and a forced smile. Ruthie's own smile faded upon hearing those words. There's a strict no-pet policy. My landlord is a freak about it. If he even smells that an animal's living here, my lease is broken and I'm out of a place to live. It's just for a little while, Ruthie tried to reason, but her friend only shook her head. They're not my rules, Ruthie. I love little Theo as much as you do, but I can't risk it. It was a quiet night once the sun had set. Ruthie's friend had allowed them one night, one last night together. Ruthie cried for hours into the soft golden fur of her Theo, and the Labrador, no older than a teenager, licked up her tears as they fell. She promised herself she'd come back to the shelter to find him, but the workers had explained that such a highly sought-after breed would never last long there, and the call she received the next day confirming her fears nearly brought Ruthie to her knees. Though she had long since moved from her family home, the smell of the place followed her as she tried to fall asleep that night. Cedar and lilac. As she got the call of her termination at work, cedar and lilac. As her friend kicked her from her home and onto the street, cedar and lilac. The once welcoming scent turned into a sickeningly sweet reminder of what she once had. And there... On those streets, in the overbearing warmth of summer, Ruthie's heart broke. All that she had lost, all that she once was, all that she held onto was now gone. They say she walked into the tracks, holding her hands together, blood running down her fingers as the crown ring burrowed itself deep into her flesh wrapping itself around her bone. They say there was a look in her eyes that still haunts those who witnessed her last moments. No one saw the train coming. The train had never run that late before. And yet, with the last of her will, Ruthie screamed, a sound that could only be made by someone who had lost everything. And the last of all that she possessed was found on the side of the tracks. A small silver crown ring still attached to a finger. Entity HOAL-76 absconded after institute intervention during the outbreak of Entity GCAH-444. Institute staff attempted to dispose of Entity HOAL-76, but after many failed attempts, the entity was detained until absconding in 2021. 
Thank you for listening to The Bugs Labyrinth. The Bugs Labyrinth is an Amsel TV production. This episode was written, recorded, directed, and edited by Amsel T. Vance. Manuscripts were edited by Avery K. Rayner. Audio consultant, Danny B. Places and names have been changed for the privacy of all involved. Safety is the most important thing to us, and we will never compromise that. Follow us on Twitter, at Bugs Labyrinth, for updates and if you need to contact us. Rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. It's the best way to help us out and get our story out there. And support our Patreon to help us keep making cool stuff. Until next time, stay safe, listeners. Listeners.